Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today we present the third in a four-part series featuring special guest appearances by our mysterious patrons. Our guest today is Christian. Hello, it's a thrill to be here. Thank you. Christian is a generous supporter of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and as a thank you, we invited him to join us for a discussion of an episode of his choosing. So, Christian, what are we listening to today? Meshuggah from Gunsmoke. The title of this episode is a bit of a head-scratcher, but we'll talk more about that later. Gunsmoke aired on CBS Radio from April 1952 to June 1961, but the origin of the series can be traced back to 1948. As the story goes, CBS chairman William S. Paley was a fan of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and wanted another series like it. His concept? A hard-boiled western. CBS Vice President Harry Ackerman, creator of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, along with scriptwriters Mort Fine and David Friedkin, created a pilot entitled Mark Dillon Goes to Gaujai. They recorded two different versions of the play, a grittier take starring Rye Billsbury as Dylan and a lighter one starring Howard Culver. The network preferred the latter, but unfortunately Culver was already starring in a western, the juvenile-oriented Straight Arrow, and his contract would not allow him to appear in a second one. And that was that. The project was shelved. Three years later, Norman MacDonald, producer of Escape and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, approached the network with the idea of an adult western based on the style and tone of two scripts by John Meston, Wild Jack Rett from Escape and Pagosa from another CBS anthology series, Romance. The network dusted off the audition recording from Ackerman, Fine, and Friedkin and asked MacDonald to pull all the ideas together into one show. And Gunsmoke was born. Author John Dunning notes, the show drew critical acclaim for unprecedented realism. Today, it's regarded as, quote, among one of the best shows of any kind and any time. If you want to learn more about the history of Gunsmoke, we highly recommend episode 90 of James Scully's excellent podcast, Breaking Walls. We'll link to it in the show notes. Mashuga was written by Anthony Ellis, who previously worked with Norm MacDonald on Escape, we featured many of Ellis's superb escape scripts on this very podcast, including The Abominable Snowman, I Saw Myself Running, and A Study in Wax. In 1958, Ellis created his own Western series for CBS, Frontier Gentlemen. The short-lived series followed a British journalist as he roamed the Western United States in search of news stories. Although Ellis never adapted Meshuggah for the Gunsmoke television series, he did adapt it for another lesser-known series, Dick Powell's Zane Grey Theater. The television version was renamed Village of Fear and starred David Niven and a young DeForest Kelly. And now, let's listen to Mashuga from Gunsmoke, first aired February 21st, 1953. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Dodge City, and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
Chester and I had left Dodge about nine that morning. It was a good day, clear with a snap in the air. The horses felt it too, and they wanted to move fast. Not in the lope that we were holding them to. Chester took a couple of deep breaths and liked what he smelled. It surely is a fine day, Mr. Dillon. A fine day. I had some government papers to take over to Bill Holton at the post office in Pierceville, a place about 40 miles west of Dodge. Chester and I figured we'd stop overnight and ride back the next day. We followed the trail along the Arkansas and stayed with it as it left the river at Cimarron and cut across the prairie. Looks like a big wagon train up ahead there at the crossing, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, sure looks like it, Chester. Chester was right. The dust cloud we'd seen became 30 and more wagons taking the Cimarron Crossing. It was a shortcut of the Santa Fe Trail leading on southwest toward Raton Pass. We passed them and our trail swung back to the Arkansas again. We rested, watered the horses a couple of times, and by afternoon we could see the warehouse, the store, and the post office and a few of the other buildings of the town. It wasn't a big place, Pierceville. Maybe 50 people regular living there. Peculiar. Yeah? I just don't rightly know, sir. Just funny. It's peculiar. You mean nobody around? Yes, sir, that's what I was thinking. That's what I thought. Mr. Dillon, what do you figure them horses are doing down there? It ain't right they should wander around like that without it. Mr. Dillon, they got their saddles on, too. The horses were down the street, and as they heard us, their heads jerked up and they wheeled about and trotted off away and around out of sight. And we stopped. I listened. There was nothing to hear. An empty place, nothing to see. But there was a feeling in the town. You couldn't figure what. We walked the horses over to Bill Holton's post office. You think maybe everybody in town is sick, Mr. Dillon? No. Or maybe dead? No, it couldn't be that. No crows nor buzzards. Mr. Dillon, look yonder. The safe's open. What? What? He wouldn't leave the place like this. Come on, Chester. Sure is a funny thing, Mr. Dillon. I swear it gives me the will it was. I've never seen anything like it. Not a living soul Hold in the it, whole... Chester. Did you hear something? I'm not sure. Just wait a minute. Thought I heard a kid crying. I didn't. to try the store, Mr. Dillon, huh? Hey, uh... All right, keep your eyes open, Chester. Yes, sir. We'll take a look in the saloon first. The saloon was about 200 feet back up toward the end of town. But we didn't get that far. They stepped out behind us as we passed the livery stable, and we never had a chance to draw. Get your hands up. Hi. Hold him there. We did. 
and I felt my guns lifted away. And then we got a look at what had crawled into Pierceville. There were three of them, and they were killers. Man gets to know the look in the eye of a killer. If you're lucky, you see it in time. Now, we weren't lucky that day. It's the law, Brill. Yeah. Where you from, mister? Dodge. Dodge? Hey, that's Dylan. No. <laughs> it sure is. Are you Dylan? Marshal Dylan from Dodge? Yeah. Try that again. We will. Don't fret yourself about that, Dylan. Move in. Take him to warehouse, Brill? Yeah. Beside better to get rid of him, if you ask me. I don't think so. Not right now. He might be able to help. I've always wanted a U.S. Marshal to help me. <laughs> Listen, Will. Take away his gun, you watch him. He'll be on his belly begging to help. They took us to the warehouse, and we found out what had happened to the folks who lived in Pierceville. They were all in there. The kids, the six-month-old baby, the women, and the men. Inside, there were six more hard-faced men leaning against the wall near the door their guns held lazily in their hands. They'd taken over the whole town. And for some reason, they were holding it. Shut up! Every one of you! Shut up! Lady, told you to keep that kid quiet. Want me to do it for you? Mr. Dillon, be you quiet, know what I... Chester. Yes. Now, asking you again, which one of you shot my kid brother? You hear what I'm saying? Which one? All right. Maybe you know this fellow just walked in here with his pal. He's a U.S. Marshal out of Dodge. His name is Dillon. I'm going to make him accountable for what you make up to do. When a man does a killing, he's accountable. Ain't that so, Marshal? That's so. Okay. One of these folks killed my kid brother. And unless he talks up, there's going to be a lot of killing around here. You get that? Now you talk to him, Dylan. You explain the law. I'm a fair man. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Don't nobody try nothing, because we'll be right outside. Don't try nothing. Uh, Chester, there's Bill Holton over there. Come on. Help us, Marshal. Marshal, please. Hi, Matt. How are you, Bill? Oh, could be worse, I guess. Mr. Holton, you, your face. What'd they do to you? Oh, I was the first one they worked on. Will you tell us what's happened, Bill? Well, they rolled in early this morning. Whole outfit. I figured them for trouble when I saw them. Straight off, I knew. A couple of them held me, knocked me around. The others grabbed three women, kind of for hostage, I guess. Brill, he's the leader. He cleaned out the safe. What about the killing? Three or four of our boys came up, saw what was happening, started in shooting, and these snakes hauled the women folk over to the post office door and kept them in front for shields. Your boys stopped shooting then? Yeah, sure. Dropped the guns where they stood. Brill's kid brother was already dead then. Brill kind of went crazy, swore he'd kill the women, burn the town. Then the outfit rounded up a couple more women, and after that, everybody else... None of us wanted to see the women hurt. I guess we gave up too easy. 
On account of his brother, huh? He calls it murder. You heard. They've kept you locked up in here ever since. Yeah, yeah. He says he'll take us out two at a time and shoot us if we don't tell. <laughs> Do you know who it was? No. No, like, like I say, three or four fellas were shooting. Even they don't know which one of them it was. Listen, Marshal. I'm Dave Maxson. I, I got a place outside of town. Listen, we got to do something quick. Yeah, yeah, sure. Take it easy, will my, you? My wife, that's her over there. She's, she's got the baby. We're coming this morning to get something at the store. You got to do something. All right, Mr. Maxim. Now, just take it easy, will you? Look, there's 30 of us. The men, we, 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 we could rush them. Some of us would get killed. Now, listen we to me. we got to get to the marshal. I'm thinking all of us would get killed. And that's not the way. we got to do something. Yeah, I know. Okay, what's it going to be? Dylan, step over here. Well, what do you say? I don't know. Seems to me you came here and broke the law. It's the chance your brother took when he got killed. That was murder. He was shot in the back. Maybe he got turned around looking for somebody to kill himself. It was murder. I... Oh, I ain't gonna stand here arguing with you, mister. Who did it? You think I'm bluffing? I tell you, I ain't bluffing. If I have to wipe out this whole stinking town, I'm gonna do it. That doesn't get your brother back. You in the habit of killing women and kids? You shut up. Okay. Santa's cargo, start with two of them. Take them outside. That fella. You. And him. No. Oh, no, not Dave. Oh, no, you can't. Brill, you're crazy. You do this and they won't even hang you. You'll be torn to pieces. You won't be around to see it. All right, go on. Get him outside. Well, anybody got anything to say? Anybody going to say who killed my brother? I'll tell you something, you yellow gutless coyote. stood there, some of us looking at the body of Maxim with his wife sobbing over him, others staring at the closed door. It had happened so quickly there wasn't time to think, to figure anything, and there wasn't any way to shut out the sound of what happened outside. Oh, no. No. I gotta do something. No, Bill, don't. Turn for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, a skid can be tragic if the road is wet or icy. A faulty windshield wiper that's a nuisance in a shower can be your nemesis in a snowstorm. The sum and substance of our message being, take extra care when you're driving under winter conditions. Make sure your car is prepared for winter. And then, drive it with twice your usual caution. Now, for the second act of Gunsmoke.
except for Maxon's wife and another woman whose husband had died, there, there was a quiet now in the warehouse. The killers didn't come back in again. Maybe for what they'd done, they didn't have the nerve right then. It takes nerve to look at the faces of the ones who are left. I found out that there'd been 12 of them who had ridden in. Now with the one who was gone, there were 11. I talked to the boys who had done the shooting at the gang. Two of them were willing to give up, but two others weren't, and I didn't blame them. We waited, Chester, Bill Holton, and me in a corner trying to make a plan. An hour went by. Early evening chill found its way into the warehouse. I think they'll do it again. Two more of us. Not for a while, maybe. That kind will get liquored up first. It makes them brave. I still think that maybe now's a chance to get outside, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, it might be. What scares me, though, is they'll start with the women and kids. Yeah. There's always a chance somebody will ride in, maybe see what's happening and send for help. Like us, huh? Mm-mm. Besides, it'll take too long. <laughs> Mr. Dillon, let me try it. I don't want to hear no more of these women doing that. Just let me think, Chester. They're coming back. All right. Come on, quick. There's two of them. You can see through the crack. Yeah. It's the ones that got our guns. Brill, listen with them. Chester, get on the other side of the door. Yes, sir. You, Mr. Bill, behind yeah. me. Okay. Right. Now, when they come in, grab them in time. Now, look. I want everybody to keep real quiet. Do you understand? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, now wait until they're inside. Do you think the others might be around the back? I don't know. We'll take the chance. Now, whoever gets hold of them, don't let them yell. Have a drink, will you? Yeah. What do you think? What? In there. How should I know? We shouldn't hang around too long. I figure we ought to start riding. Well, you know, Brill, it was the kid. He thought a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Hey, there's one woman in there, though. Did you see her? Tall one? Oh, no, with the old man, the pretty one, that little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But maybe we get her out here and the, the others will talk. Might be. I, I ain't saying it will make them talk, but a lot of men in there are soft about women. What about Brill? Nah, he don't care. He wants to find out who killed the kid. Maybe we can get him to talk. Sure. Might be fun. Hey, miss. No, no, no. You, over there. Come on. Uh, we won't hurt you. We want to talk to you outside. Come on. Uh, he said, come here. You don't want it. Cover me, will you? I'll go get her. Not right now. one of you here can handle a gun right. Frank's Donnelly. Yes, sir? Here. We'll split up the cartridges. Chester, get over by the crack there and keep a lookout. Yes, sir. One of the kids found an axe behind those empty crates, man. Good. See if you can find anything else. Yeah, mate. Well, it's three of us now. Nine of them with guns. Yeah, except that we know that and they don't. Donnelly, you're going to have to stay here. Chester and I will try to get some more guns. 
Now, you got a good chance to knock out a couple more of them if they come in. Shoot to kill them. You understand? I understand. Wait a minute, man. I'm coming with you. No. Listen, I used to throw an axe pretty good. I, I get close enough to one of them boys, I can split them. I'm coming with you. It's our only chance. You start shooting and the whole bunch will be on your neck. This is quieter. Okay, let's go. You see anybody, Chester? No, sir. He must be up the saloon. All right, then open the door. Now, if we hear any shots back here, Donnelly, we'll come running. Take it easy now. We got outside and made a run over to some dugouts. Up the street, we could hear the killers still drinking their courage back. If it had just been the three of us against them, we might have taken a chance, but with the women and kids in the warehouse, we couldn't do that. We'd have to pick them off if we could, one by one. And the first shot we fired, there was going to be trouble. Up to the left of the warehouse in the evening shade, I saw the bodies of the two men they'd shot down. A dog was moving around, whimpering. A couple of minutes went by, and then we started around the back and made our way up behind the saloon. If we get in by the back door, Mr. Dillon, you think we could surprise them? We can't take the chance, Chester. Not with only two guns. They get us, and you know what'll happen. Yes, sir. One of them's coming out. Look. Yeah? It's the fellow shot Dave Maxson. He's heading this way. You think he's... Oh. Bill? Yeah? Think you can get him from here? A little closer, maybe. Not from here. He's got two guns on him. We need them. Stay in line with the post. We'll cover you. Okay. I saw Holton's big fist tighten around the axe handle. They moved out and down the alley in line with the post. The killer never looked up. He just stood there, head down, swaying a bit. Then Holton stopped. His arm raised up and back. And the axe caught a gleam of light and must have thrown it into the killer's eye. He had just time to look up and see the thing before it caught him square. I, I haven't done that for a long time. I only throw at trees and boards. I, I never did it to a man before. I never killed a man like that. Chester, get the other gun. Yes, All right, here. Here, Bill, take this. All right, we got four now. That ought to fix us. Now, look, I don't like what we're going to do, but it's the safest way. We go in there shooting, get them fast. In the leg, anywhere. Try not to kill, but don't give them a chance to shoot back. Yes, sir. Sure, man. You okay, Bill? You want to wait a minute? I'm okay. Chester, take their guns. Yes, sir. I'm arresting you for murder, bro. The rest of them with you. Killed my brother. Got him in the back. My brother, they murdered him. You know something? If I wasn't a marshal, I'd do the same thing to you right now. It's too bad I can't. I hope it hurts when they hang you, bro. And it was over. And I got the feeling like it never happened. That there hadn't been time for it to happen. But the dead men's women knew that it wasn't a dream. 
The next day, a half a dozen of the fellows, Chester and myself, took the outlaws back to Dodge. Most of them had been hit back in the saloon. One died in Cimarron before we could get him to the dock. But not Brill. He was alive when he went to Hayes City with the rest of the boys. I was there when they tried him. And I was there when they hanged him. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, Bob Sweeney, John Daner, Lou Krugman, Michael Ann Barrett, and Ted Bliss. Parley Bear is Chester. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas, through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. CBS Radio raises the curtain on a new dramatic treat, The Theater of Stars. On the network, it brings you Lionel Barrymore's Sunday Night Playhouse and thrilling stories of escape. Tomorrow night, for the premiere performance over most of these same CBS radio stations, hear lovely Joan Fontaine in The Guardsman. It's a sprightly, peppery adaptation of Franz Molnar's great French comedy, a romantic experience you will certainly enjoy. Remember... Theater of Stars, tomorrow night, premiere performance on CBS Radio. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network. Sugar from Gunsmoke here in the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And as we mentioned in the opening, we are presenting the third in a four-part series featuring special guest appearances by mysterious patrons and supporters of this podcast. And today, our guest is Christian. And welcome once again to the podcast, Christian. Thank you. Now... We'd like to know, you get approached, and you're like, hey, uh, you want to do this uh, podcast with us? And you're like, yeah. And we're like, okay, why? And then you're like, because. <laughs> and then I don't know how the conversation went. I had nothing to do with it. But at some point, you were asked to bring an episode with you, and you did, and you brought this mm-hmm. from Gunsmoke. Why? Well, I had two considerations. One is that I wanted to bring a new series. New is in the sense that you haven't talked about it yet. And I've been listening to radio dramas for many years, but this specific episode of Gunsmoke is something I heard relatively recently. It was after I started listening to this podcast. And I was struck by what a different sort of feel it had compared to many of the other Gunsmokes I've heard. Gunsmoke and most Westerns do have some kind of law-breaking, so they, they check the crime box. But this one I thought had some elements of suspense and had some really unsettling moments that maybe kind of approach horror a little. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to bring something that isn't just new, but also something that is from a series people might not think of when they think of suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. And then secondly, I wanted something that we be a good source for discussion, not 
only about the script, but about other aspects, like uh, the music or the performance, pace, and production, if I can borrow that phrase. So, And I think that this episode of Gunsmoke provides a lot to examine if you want to. So those are my reasons for choosing this. Going back a while, I think you sent an email a while back, and something about you like Gunsmoke, and here's the deal. I can take or leave Westerns. If there's nothing else going on, I will watch it or listen to a Western. But I am not really excited about them, even though I have a tattoo of the Lone Ranger <laughs> on my body. Uh, I was a young man. But <laughs> the deal is, is that when Gunsmoke pops up, when you're like, what am I going to listen to today in all-time radio? I've always passed it by because, yeah, it's a Western. And you brought it up and you said you'd give it a shot. And it popped up a few weeks after that email. And I gave it a whirl. And these guys will back me up on this. I came into a podcast or something, and I looked at these two, and I said, so I listened to a couple gun smokes. Holy, you have no idea. They're really good. <laughs> I am pleased to hear that, it's, especially since, like, the first 30 seconds of this episode, they, they really kind of Western it up. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have a positive <laughs> appreciation. But yeah, some, some talented people doing Westerns in the 50s, yeah. <laughs> but that beginning, that slow burn mm. is suspenseful. Mm. Yeah, 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 it is a little, yeah, a little like a Blue Velvet beginning. <laughs> yeah, I am someone who does love westerns particularly modern westerns you know pretty much sergio leone and on but i never really gave any thought to uh its pedigree and it was really interesting to listen to this and hear the roots of all the things i love in westerns because i never listened to gunsmoke or any uh, of radio westerns or even like the old comic books or just the older little tendrils that, that movie westerns grew out of this you sent him us like in 2018 with a list of possible episodes for listener suggestions. And we ended up doing a bloodbath from escape, which is thank you. Another classic yeah. <laughs> episode. I listened to this when you sent it and really liked it. And I was like, ah, oh, but I wasn't sure at that time. It was a much earlier in the podcast. Do we pull the trigger on a Western, so to speak? <laughs> but now it's great to be able to actually discuss it with you because yeah, yeah, I really loved fun. it when I first heard it. And I think I loved it even more uh, <laughs> when I listened to it for this particular episode because I was more familiar with the work of Anthony Ellis. And I could really, really hear his voice in this as a writer because he is so hard he is not afraid of being brutal but at the same time he has a heart in his writing there is a humanity to it that always sits alongside uh this unflinching portrayal of brutality and that's one of the things i love about his work but i loved about this script that scene to jump on your his heart of that awesome guy who could throw an axe <laughs> Like after he kills someone and he's really deeply affected. Yeah, by that's, uh, that really stood out to me as well. <laughs> and it's not just this one, everybody. Pick an episode. They have a pace to it. They have a grit to it. They have a reality to it that's really riveting and really quite beautiful, just as this one was. But it is very much the Western genre. Uh, one of the things I, I love about it is the ever-present reality of how isolated everything is, how isolated yes. they are from other things. It's an overnight trip is 40 miles away, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, help is not coming. You got yeah. two guys and that's all you're going to get. And even the beginning of this, it's a 40-mile trip to the post office. Right. <laughs> You've yeah. got some, like, office work to mail. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and this right. is what happens. You, you mentioned it, uh, Christian, in the beginning, and I am dying to find out, why is this called Meshuggah? Meshuggah. Oh, yeah. Meshuggah is a Yiddish word, and that's a whole different thing, They're right? They're both, I think, Yiddish origin. Well, Christian has a theory, and I think it's a good one. Go ahead. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I, I think it is the Yiddish word. I think, um, you know, at well, one point, um, Bill Holton, I think, says, you know, bro's gone crazy. And I think that crazy, what, what kind of Alice had in mind here. And I, I met, but, you know, crazy as a script title? Not great. So I, I imagine that he is, like, asking his writing <laughs> colleagues, hey, what's another word for crazy? And someone gives him Meshuggah, and he says, I like that. And he types out how he thinks Meshuggah is spelled and turns in the script. So, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Yes, because part of what confused us, as listeners can't see the spelling, that the spelling is not... Uh, the traditional spelling. It's not the Hebrew spelling either. It's just like a complete right. yeah. misspelling of this word. That theory is absolute fact now. We're, not, <laughs> we're going with that. That's exactly yeah. how it happened. Yeah, because it, this, this title of this episode is consistently spelled this way across various resources. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, just had this, this O in the middle for some reason. <laughs> 
so I love production value. That's a huge thing with me. Like I need to be swept away and feel like I can see, smell and taste everything around me. Right. Gunsmoke does such a brilliant job of that. But that moment, moment, it was four minutes of riding into an empty town and hearing the emptiness. I know that sounds ridiculous, but the willingness to be, when he says, shh, be quiet, and not just as a, a device to say we're listening, but to actually take the seven, eight seconds of silence and not be afraid of it, where then you start to picture what I'm doing now, which is <laughs> they can't see in the podcast, but you can see them looking around and trying desperately to listen hard. God, it's just beautiful and terrifying. And I think you're right, Christian, that there is a, a level to this particular episode that psychological horror going on. That moment uh, of, do you hear that? Because I heard a wolf howl, I heard a rooster crow. I assume that's what he said. Did you hear that? Right. So when he said, I heard a baby crying, that hit hard. Yep. Because it was not the sound I was expecting to say. And so when he listens and hears nothing, it's really disturbing. Like, why don't we hear the baby? <laughs> and then it, is it going down that road? Oh, he's hearing babies again. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get him out of here. Did a band of baby outlaws attack this town? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say this about 1950s radio that I am only slowly figuring out there is a confidence in the medium they have this real clarity of sound and they are yep. not afraid to take their time with it as eric pointed out with the empty town they aren't afraid of the breaks between sounds they're not afraid to pick three or four really important sounds that describe the scene and just stick with those throughout the episode um i think we heard a lot of that a couple of weeks ago when we listened to brave new world uh from cbs radio workshop and it had a lot of that just really clean sharp clarity to everything the, the other thing joshua is that this is also about the time the theater started to change conversation style on stage from line, 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 to overlap, to ums, to embroiderment of lines, to uh, actual conversations, uh, what I'm doing right there, the uhs. And you, it, it appears in radio, you hear it in X minus one in everything as you get into the 50s. It's just a different style of conversation and no fear of the silence. The only one I can think of going back a little further that attempted that was Quiet, Please, would not be afraid of a, a real conversational style, but uh, absolutely right, Joshua, that that confidence and that style change is so evident with everything you listen to right after about 1952. I have a small, insignificant detail to point out in which I was completely wrong, but I was 100% convinced and when I heard the voice of that hostage who had the wife and the baby that it was Tony Curtis. I thought, oh my God, this is Tony Curtis. And I, I felt hurt when it wasn't. <laughs> Not as hurt as he felt. <laughs> was he dressed like a woman? <laughs> In my mind, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was another, you know, really, uh, when, I, when I was thinking of unsettling scenes, that was one of them. Just, you know, the, those, those booming shots. He shot like five times and, you know, that screaming and the shocked silence and this stuff. You don't count. You know I mean, that was, wow. I'm still taking two more. That the brutality of the killing, we, we get so used to, especially in Westerns, someone being killed and people moving on. The reality of those people being killed and the effect it has, all the way up to Dylan. Like, all of them are like, oh my God, this is terrible. And to hear the wives crying and the, the pain and the horribleness of it, the, the reality of someone being shot in front of you is not exactly something that uh, is pondered very much in a Western or uh, in a lot of old-time radio, uh, that it, it affects anybody. And that was long and drawn out. And the guy killing the other guy with the axe. That's brilliant writing. Let's Yes, that's so real. How about the sound of that axe going in? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not pretty. <laughs> and, I mean, they carefully create this scenario in which that is really his only option. So uh, while it's horrific, you feel for him in that moment because it was really a kill or be killed scenario. They are so meticulous 
with their, we have this many guns, we have this many bullets, I'll divide these up. If we shoot, we're going to attract attention, there are this many of them, that all those details just pull me along and I'm super invested and I, I pay attention and I I understand why they have to come with this axe. And when they go in, like, there's eight drunk people in this bar, we have two guns each, I think we can do it now. There's no bravado here. Right, Everything's really practical. They have to think about this very carefully or they could die and then everybody could die. And those stakes, like Tim said, are always there all the yeah, way there's through. A, there's that difference between uh, the infallible hero approach of, well, we're going to go in there and beat everybody up and then we'll be fine to, listen, this is a really stupid idea and it's probably destined to fail, but we don't have any other choice. We're going to have to jump these guys and... This is probably not going to go well. And speaking of the jumping, that fight fully grotesque. Oh, man. Yeah. Because he just punches them over and over again. It isn't like this cartoon Western Uh where you get one little punch and the guy gets knocked out cold. And going into that scene, you hear those two men outside the door and the the conversation about the woman inside gets real ugly real fast. And then one guy goes inside and says, cover me. And like, that's not how it's supposed to go. This is right. this plan is going south real fast. <laughs> well, and then the subtlety of that woman knowing not to get up. Yeah. Like, she just knew that the plan's not working, so if I just stay here, they'll come in. Uh, without being told, without some kind of narrator telling you, he looked over at Dylan and he gave her a <laughs> nod and a wink, see? She knew to stay put. And that's what I'm saying about this 50s era where there aren't as many narrators, because again, I feel like they are comfortable with this medium and know the audience is going to understand it and they're going to follow along and they give you something a lot more um, mature. They are assuming intelligence on the part of the listener, whereas sometimes earlier radio did not. They were worried that you would get lost. To move to what we just listened to with this, Gunsmoke, where literally if you go back and listen and really pay attention to how much you were actually told, you were not told much. Most of that is your head, and that's beautifully done. Christian, you mentioned the music earlier. Did you have uh, some observation about that? Well, that's a really interesting uh, a range of styles. You know, at the beginning, you have this sort of soaring glory of the West. And then, you know, exploring the town, that mysterious, you know, guitar and flute it sounded like. And that the so the escalating music with the axing. I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really intriguing mix of uh, uh, styles and different types of music that really contributed. And, and like we were talking about, they also know when not to use music and narration. So but that, yeah, that is something that stood out to me, the, the, the different types of music and that appeared throughout the episode. Yeah, I really appreciate that town being silent without music telling us that something spooky is going to happen or is happening. I just really appreciate that. Tim, you had a theory. I have a pet theory about who shot that kid. I think his brother shot him. This was the only clue they gave us. He was shot in the back. Oh, mm. Tim, look at you. That's good. Wow. <laughs> I, I was so convinced that I thought that was going to be revealed. Like, we're going to go back and look and see who shot, but that's to the credit of the script. Like, that is not the point of this script is figuring out who actually killed this kid. I have a delightful love of of actual Old West stories, and a couple summers ago, I was on vacation in a town that I can't remember the name of, but I was talking about a the, this town. There was a robbery there by the uh, Dalton James gang. I'm getting a lot of details gray here, but it really there was a tour that went in detail of like who was where and who shot who and how they got away and who got away shot and that little nitty gritty detail. I love it. So I was kind of obsessed, like who did shoot this kid. What I loved about it, so I I didn't think about who killed him because I loved the idea of it not being a mystery, that they literally couldn't tell you. I thought it raised the stakes in this beautiful way that nobody knew. So the only way they could get out of this is if someone was willing to just be the scapegoat and sacrifice themselves. So I like that it cut off a certain avenue of escape for them. It also leads into this other really classic Western thematic of a era in time, whether it's real or imagined in the Western genre, in which um, justice and morality is still being written for the country. And I really liked how Brill was convinced that a crime had been committed when he's like, you tell him, you're a marshal. There has to be consequences for this. And Dylan's like, uh. 
you came in here and robbed, you had to kind of <laughs> think that maybe that would be a consequence of your action. But right. throughout the entire thing, even to the very end, when Brill finally gets caught, he breaks down crying because he is convinced he has been done a wrong and his brother was. And and that's why I, I love your theory, but like I love the idea that he is just so believed that he could do as much wrong as possible, but when it was done to him, then we needed the law to step in. <laughs> <laughs> so the end where he tells him he's going to hang and he's so distraught and it was so sympathetic. You became sympathetic with this bad guy. It was such a beautiful moment uh, of storytelling where you go, yeah, he loved his brother so much and he was after justice and maybe he wasn't such a bad guy. He just snapped and he said, oh, you're all going to pay for this. And in other words, you could relate somewhat to it and sympathize a little bit at the end. I really liked Brill as a type of bad guy who he is not smart, <laughs> but he is out of control and highly dangerous. So you, there's no predicting him because he's not going to do the smart thing. But he I, might do anything. I like that he's out of control, though, out of sorrow, not out of evil. It's just an interest, another interesting choice that isn't normally done. Also, you talked about America at that time was still trying to figure out morality and justice and how that worked. Would you send me a text, Joshua, when we do figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> On it. <laughs> what also uh, struck me as really fascinating is that this could be a standalone escape episode. If we didn't know this was a continuing series, it has everything that escape has, right? It has this heightened, dangerous situation. It has William Conrad's booming voice in it. (laughs) It has that, you know, again, we said with Annie Ellis, that really tough but human dialogue, and it's all built around this high-stakes, seemingly inescapable scenario. You can totally hear that booming voice. You are trapped in a small (laughs) town. A madman is killing everybody two at a time. Yeah. Everyone you go to high school with is going to stay here. You might go to Minneapolis. (laughs) That's a little too close to home, that last part, Tim. Yeah. We called that going to the Muni in my uh, hometown. That's where you saw everybody that didn't leave. One more observation, again, about direction and sound, and that is when Dylan and Chester and uh, the guy who runs the post office are going up to the saloon, the murmur of the gang at the bar becomes more and more audible as Dylan and company approach until we can actually start to slowly hear their plan and that they're going to shoot Dylan next. And I just thought it was just a great, again, piece of audio that really deftly positions you as the listener with Dylan and the heroes and you get closer and you hear, oh, (laughs) they're coming for you. This better work, (laughs) Dylan. (laughs) Any other thoughts from anybody weird of note, things that they'd like to tell us? It seems like a desperate cry for help that you're in. <laughs> Is there something you'd like to tell us? <laughs> I hate my job and my family doesn't love me. <laughs> About gun smoke. Ooh, I'll edit that last part out. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> if you're all cool with it, let's send this to the vote. I know yeah. where it's going and this will be easy but fun to hear. I'll start this week. This stands the test of time. It has all the things that you need in a good story. So I'll say classic and really good piece of uh, audio drama. But then I'll also say this to anybody, throw gun smoke on. Give it a world. Listen to a few more of these. If you are like me and you are trapped in that world of that TV show and watching your grandpa watch it and thinking, oh, isn't there anything else on? Why is gun smoke on all the time? Just give this a whirl, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. I, I'm also going to call this a classic. A lot of times uh, what I'll admire in a radio episode is, like, this could not have been told in any other way. Uh, this had to be an, an audio play. Uh, this is different in that like, I would read this short story. I would watch this movie. I'd watch this TV story. This story and the way these characters are treated – I think can translate to any medium and still be as compelling. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is definitely a classic for me. And, you know, as this podcast has continued to go on and on, at first I think I kind of just called things 
classic willy-nilly as in, I really liked it. But <laughs> I've slowly developed my personal criteria, which is things like um, it's of high quality to be a classic. It's an outstanding example of the series it represents. It rewards multiple listens. Uh, it has the potential to transcend its time and place and speak to not just a modern listener, but a listener who is maybe new to the dramatic radio art form. And I think it meets all those criteria. But for me personally, it also made me reevaluate westerns as a genre because you know unlike tim who really likes westerns unlike eric who feels like meh i'll take them or leave them i really didn't like westerns i found them really unappealing my father was a child of the 50s so he loved westerns and when i was younger he always tried to get me to watch them with him or watch Gunsmoke, and i was just a total jerk uh, and <laughs> thought they were boring. I was the Star Wars generation and didn't have a spaceship in it, so I dismissed it all. But I actually, after I listened to this episode, I called my dad and said, I just listened to Gunsmoke. I'm doing this radio podcast. I love it. We got to listen to or watch some Gunsmoke together. So, And I now, like, some of my new favorite movies are Westerns, things like Johnny Guitar and 40 Guns. So, like, you opened up this whole new <laughs> genre nice. for me. So, yes, classic and a personal revelation. <laughs> and, and that is exactly why, Joshua, your kids will hate Doctor Who. <laughs> One loves it, and the other one hates it. That is that is uh, true. <laughs> Christian, what's your vote? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't dispute the idea that it stands the test of time. I think the conversation's testament to that. Uh, the script, you know, for the most part, stands the test of time. You know, if it was written today, I think he might have done a little more with the female characters. Like, like what if the widow was the one who threw the axe, you know? How cool would that have been, right? <laughs> axe in one hand, baby in the other. Man, that would have been. <laughs> um, but what if she got confused and accidentally threw the baby? <laughs> Even better. Yeah. The baby holding the axe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. You know, you know Tim, in the, uh, the, when we discussed the present tense episode of Escape, you talked about, you said you wound uh, up admiring it more than enjoying it. And, you know, I actually, you know, because I've listened to many Gunspokes, I, I actually felt that way. I felt I sort of admired this one more than I enjoyed it. So it's a... Hmm, I, I Surprisingly, I, I don't know if I would call this a classic, just because, I mean, I recognize it as a great... Technical accomplishment, you know, it's an excellent example of an effective audio drama, but uh, I don't know, because I am familiar with Gunsmoke, there are others I sort of prefer, so I guess it's sort of how you personally define a classic, maybe I might do that a little differently, but I, I mean, definitely gratified to hear how you voted for it, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss it as accomplishments, but yeah, it's just personal choice. So maybe I will listen to a lot more Gunsmoke. I've certainly listened to at least four or five other episodes at random, and this still stands out as one of my favorites. But it'll be interesting to see if it, it stands out because it was the first one that really kind of opened my eyes to it. Five years from now, or like, remember like, we thought Matt Sugar was good? <laughs> <laughs> what a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. I call my dad back and say, never mind. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You will find other episodes there. You can uh, vote in polls, uh, share your own opinion of what these episodes, if they stand the test of time or not. You can comment on episodes. You can send us messages. You can link to our social media pages. Send us messages there. You can get a hold of us in all kinds of different ways. Uh, there's a link there to our uh, Threatless store if you want some swag. And a link to our Patreon page. Yes, you too can be like Christian. You can support this podcast. I think he is a stellar role model. Go to patreon.com slash the morals. Uh, we have all sorts of great stuff. Members only podcasts, monthly Zoom happy hours where we just uh, all get together, listen to an old time radio show and discuss it. Kind of like this podcast, only in a far more in formal alcohol soaked way <laughs> but it is a lot of fun so please go to patreon.com slash the morals old time radio book club that's what it seems like to me if you'd like to see us perform our theater productions of old time radio please do that we do theatrical uh, recreations of classic old time radio plus a lot of original work that we have been producing for the last two years our partner in the, our theatrical productions is Park Square Theater in St. Paul. And right now in January of 2021, we are doing our theatrical productions online. But you can still get tickets and see this work, hopefully. And very soon we'll be back on stage 
monthly at Park Square Theater. Go to parksquaretheater.org to get your tickets to see us. All that being said, Christian, thank you again so much for Gunsmoke. Thank you so much for being a Patreon and a supporter. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And thank you so much for being you because you're awesome and cool and we like you well thank you yeah, this, this is a pleasure for me i was really gratified to hear this feedback i'm joshua i'm i'm glad you t- t- saved this choice so yeah this is i i enjoy this a lot i'm happy to support you guys i think it's great what you're doing so thank you eric thank you tim thank you joshua you know uh, awesome notice i was first i was first <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, what's coming up next? Next, we have another mysterious patron. Evan will be joining us for an episode of Richard Diamond. Until then... His concept, a hard-boiled western. Sorry, that was a a beer burp that came on up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. That's staying in. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're really getting a peek behind the curtain here. (laughs) 